Paul and I record DVD clutter on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people. We would like to acknowledge and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging, who have cared and continue to care for this land. Hi, I'm Paul. And I'm Beck. And this is DVD Clutter. Christmas edition. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas. Slash, really what we're all excited about is not having to teach for five weeks. Woohoo! That's it. It's the, the end of the year. I was going to say here in Australia, but actually all across around the world. Around the world. <laughs> it's the end of the year. Um, and I think everyone will be very pleased to see the end of 2020. But I, I think, think that's, so. it's also just a, a bit of a psychological thing, isn't it? Because, like, it's not like on midnight on New Year's, it's just going to be like a brand new, you know, suddenly coronavirus will be gone and everything will be fine. That's no, not how it works. No, it'll um, still all be here. But yeah. it, it is a psychological thing, isn't it? That we're, it we're getting totally. over it. It's done. Yeah. It's out of here. Yeah. For us in Australia, we're, we feel like we're doing pretty well, touch wood. But our yeah. friends overseas are still suffering through it in many places. Oh, geez. Yes. Yeah. Um, but this is going to be our final episode for the year, mm-hmm. um, and we will take a little break, and then we'll be back next year, probably. Yeah. <laughs> with a, with a, an extra surprise, Paul. Or That's it. Yeah. That? Um, are we are we allowed to announce it? Yeah. Why not? I think I think that's fine. All right. Yeah. Go for it. Well, yeah. Or do you, I'm do about you? to have a child. That is exactly right. It's very exciting. And so <laughs> when we come back, there'll be you, Paul, there'll be me, and there'll be a little baby, Walters. Yep. Just like chiming in. Yeah. Adding a lot to <laughs> um, our, like... our coverage of Tarantino films and the like, I'm sure. That's right. Dad, how could you ever have this film? You're <laughs> so embarrassing. <laughs> um, yes. So with that said, I'm expecting probably a non-committal March will be when we're back for season three. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see how we go. We'll see how much sleep you're getting. Because on top of that, there's also a new job, a new town. There's a lot going on for you, Paul. Yep. 20, 2021's bringing a whole new a whole new uh, slew of exciting things. It's a big one. It's a big one. It's a big one. Yeah. Luckily for our listeners and for us, we nailed this uh, recording by over Zoom yeah. during the lockdown. And now we can both move wherever we want and we're still going to be able to do it. Exactly. That's it. Um, all across the world. That's right. <laughs> um, just, I'll be lugging my DVDs with me everywhere. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> You're just going to have 10 suitcases of DVDs as you're off to like somewhere overseas for a little trip. Well, let's get into this one and then that's one less that you have to put in your suitcase. Perhaps. Or one more. Yeah. Or one more. That's it. <laughs> And we are doing the Nightmare Before Christmas, otherwise known as Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. Yep, Tim Burton's I'm, The Nightmare Before Christmas. I'm holding you've up the got, DVD. You're holding for... up, yeah. Special edition you've got, mm-hmm. I see. It's very black cover with lots of gold and a moonlit silhouette of Jack and Sally. On the famous sort of um, spirally hill. Yes, yes. So realistic. Beautiful. <laughs> it is. It's one of the best. Now. Mm. You go. No, you go. Oh, it's one of the best. Best images of the movie. Yes. Yeah. I think last time 
I did the breakdown because these are both. Yes. We did uh, seven last week, mm-hmm. fortnight, whatever it was. Yep. Month, maybe now. <laughs> so now we're doing your one again, but I think it's your turn to do the plot breakdown. Brilliant. But before that, are you going to tell us a little bit about how this film came into your life? Yeah, I, I will. And this will probably give away a lot of where the conversation will go for the rest of it. But this this film's been like a standard in my life. It's probably the film I've watched the most out of any film ever, I think. Really? Yeah. Um, wow. I would have watched it... I'd watch it at least yearly and probably multiple times in a year for a big chunk wow. of my life. So, um, Like from when you were a kid? I remember, like, yeah, I wouldn't have watched it yearly as a kid, but I just, I definitely have vivid memories of watching it as a kid. Yeah. Um, and then sort of in my teenage years really got into it. Yeah. Um, and I'd not only watch it, I'd say, so I used to watch it every Halloween for sure. Then often yeah. again in the lead up to Christmas. Christmas. As well. <laughs> yeah. But I, it was also my DVD to try out, uh, new tech for a while. So. Oh, like if you got a new, like you got your projector. So yeah. Like I'll see how this DVD looks on it. New projector, new TV, new computer. Yeah. Um, yeah. New setup with the projector too. Um, <laughs> so any excuse really. Yeah. So I'd watch yeah. it a lot. Real obsession with it, I guess. Sort of came with my real Tim Burton stage. It was really this film drew a lot of focus of it. Yeah. I've seen it in the cinema a few times too. I remember on its three D re release I saw it. Yeah. Um and you know when it sort of Wait, it did up. a three D re release? Yeah. Yeah. Where did you watch that? I think in London. From really? Memory. Yeah. How was it? Was it like, was it actually all around you? Well, like, you know, it was, it was a 3D <laughs> film. It, like, yeah, it yeah. added some depth to it. Yeah. And that was great. Um, I've also got like, you know, I've got yeah. the whole piano and lyric book. Oh, here wow. With all the songs. Can you play the songs? Not well. Can you, pl- is... can you play the piano? Not well. <laughs> and I then... always thought your voice was your instrument. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sure. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and then I've got multiple books on it. This one. Oh my god! There is so much Nightmare Before Christmas paraphernalia being held up in front of the camera right now. Yeah, and I used to have so many T-shirts as well. Like I've sort of narrowed down on it, but yep. I've kept this book because this one's a really good. It's a, like it's called the film, the art, the vision. It's about the art of it and the the making of it. It's. Um, oh, so this is great, Paul. So for this episode, I shouldn't have done any research. I'm just going to be here. And you're going to talk and I'll ask some questions. Yeah, I do, I do probably have a lot to talk about with it. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's where it's been in my life. My, my earliest memory of it is watching it on our tiny TV growing up. Oh, maybe I'll jump into the, the different memories of it of it later. But yeah, I, I remember sure. being really young and watching it. And then, um, yeah. and, you know, you get different things from this movie, I think, at different stages of your life as well. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I'm going to go through the plot now to tell you why that might be might be the case. Yeah. Well, um, I thought I thought we could just read the three-page poem. Well, if you, it, it tells you the plot. Yeah, it does. If, if you wanted to do that. <laughs> no, nah, can I just start off with the poem and yeah. then you can finish off the... All right, because I don't love the poem, I'm going to be honest with you. I found it really hard to, like, get into a rhythm with this poem. Yeah, like, it's not your traditional poem. Um, the okay, movie's better than the poem. Give it a go. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. It was late one fall in Halloween land, and the air had a chill. Against the moon, a skeleton sat, alone upon a hill. 
He was tall and thin with a bat bow tie. Jack Skellington was his name. He was tired and bored in Halloween land. Everything was always the same. I'm sick of the scaring, the terror, the fright. I'm sick of being something that goes bump in the night. I'm bored with leering my horrible glances and my feet hurt from dancing those skeleton dances. I don't like graveyards and I need something new. There must be more to life than just yelling boo. That's where I'll leave the poem because it goes on. Yeah. And now, Paul, that's a setup. What happens next? Dun, 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 dun. Um, so, Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas from 1993, um, written by Caroline Thompson, based on a poem that we just heard by Tim Burton. Um, songs by Danny Elfman, um, and directed by Henry Selick, not by Tim Burton, as he's often mistaken. He was yeah, off- poor Henry Selick. Yeah, and we can talk about Henry Selick a we'll bit, talk about that. bit later yeah. too. Tim Burton was off doing Batman returns at the time another one of my yep. favorite movies that we'll get to um oh. one that might not have aged as well as nightmare before christmas i think but we'll, <laughs> we'll get to it at some point um so you're first introduced to halloween town it's a town that is responsible for halloween oh actually actually i missed there's a little bit of narration at the start where you find out there's all these worlds that um are responsible for each of the big holidays and you sort of see these magical doors there's a christmas one there's an easter one there's an oddly a Thanksgiving one, obviously, an American film. Yeah. Don't really know what would be in there. Um, yeah. But there's this Halloween one, and we jump into the Halloween one, and we see Halloween Town. They're all excited because it's Halloween, and it's their big thing. And we find out the king of Halloween is this guy called Jack Skellington, and it's been another great successful Halloween. They're all having fun. They're all like, yes, we aced it again. We're the best at this. Let's start planning. We've only got 365 days. Yeah, till the next one. And Jack goes off for a walk and has a bit of a lament. One of my favourite songs from uh, the movie there that he sings. And he sort of Can goes... Can he sing a little bit? No, no, no. Too embarrassed. Maybe, oh. la- maybe later. Maybe later when we get into them. I'm going to start okay. talking about the music. But he goes off and basically is saying, you know, I'm, I'm sick of doing the same old thing. There must be more out there. Um, and he yeah. walks further than he's ever walked before. So much so that the townspeople yeah. are worried about him. But he finds these magic doors to the other kingdoms. And... Mm. He's really attracted to the Christmas one because who wouldn't be? Mm. Obviously, it's the best holidays. <laughs> and he falls into Christmas Town, and he's just enamored by what he sees. It's just something so completely different to anything he's ever seen before. So he runs back to the town and thinks about it, thinks about it, thinks about it, and goes, I want to give this Christmas thing a crack. We're going to give it a go mm. this year. So he tries to present this to the town. but like, And I love this part of the movie. is It's just like, you know, this town that their whole life has been Halloween. So trying to explain Christmas to people that are just Halloween. Like, it's, you know, I'm prob- maybe I'm giving it too much credit for what the movie is, but it's, you know, it's a really interesting thing of, like, trying to explain something new to anyone that is just... Mm. Like, none of these Halloween creatures, well, apart from one that we'll find out a bit later, are vindictive or mean or anything. And they all want to get involved, and they all love Jack, and they love this idea, but they just can't get over yeah. the idea of scaring people or... Making you know, yeah, they're, they're just trying to relate it to something that they know, yeah, and so everything they know is about scaring people. And so, whenever he says, like, you know, there's a stocking filled with um, you hang this stocking up on your chimney, and then they're like, yeah, and it's filled with like severed heads, or like it's filled with bugs, and he's like, no, no, it's filled with like lollies and, and yeah. treats and, and toys, so yeah, do they jump out and, and toys, kill yeah, girls and boys, or do they jump out yeah, and scare exactly. girls and boys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry, yeah. yeah, and I, I, sorry, I yeah. said kill then, and it's definitely not. That's not the tone of the movie. The whole most of Halloween Town is this really 
that nice vibe of Halloween. And we don't really do Halloween here, yeah. but you know, it is it is a it's spooky. It's the not reason scary. we watch Yeah. The reason we watch scary movies. Like yeah. we want that little like ooh. Mm. We want that little adrenaline hit of being scared. And the whole festival, yeah, in the States, is it's a family thing. It's about, yeah, feeling a spook, mm. but it's not about scaring anyone. But dressing up and, mm. yeah, totally, yeah. So anyway, Jack goes, look, I really want to do this, so I'm going to spook up, spook it up a bit, spookify it to get everyone on board, which he does, yeah. and everyone loves it. Yeah. And they're like, okay, cool, yeah. let's do Christmas. So Jack comes up with a plan that they're going to do Christmas. So he starts putting all the townspeople to work. And to do Christmas so he doesn't get in the way, he wants to just sort of tell Santa he, that Santa's getting the, the night off. But he entrusts <laughs> this task to um, Lock, Shock and Barrel, who are the mischievous trick-or-treaters trick of Halloween Town. And they go off and they get Santa and kidnap him, really. And Jack's sort of so confident in his ability to pull off this other festival that he doesn't sort of realise what's happening to Santa. Santa gets sent to Oogie Boogie. I think he says... He says... He tells the kids to kidnap him. Yeah. But he doesn't... He says, don't get Oogie Boogie involved. Yeah. I think really, like, yeah, Jack's just like, keep him out of the way, but doesn't want Santa to get hurt, yeah. obviously. Yeah, yeah. Santa gets sent off to Oogie Boogie. Oogie Boogie's the bad guy of Halloween Town. I think Oogie Boogie represents the the scariness of Halloween, which is, yeah, sort of the, the spookiness taken too far, where it can sort of mm. get dangerous. Meanwhile, Jack's prepping for Christmas. We've all, I also haven't mentioned Sally, who's... Uh, no, it's a whole other storyline. Yeah, so Sally is, I guess, a, a take on Frankenstein's monster. She's a rag doll. That's being created by um, an evil... Prof- well, evil's probably a bit yeah. strong. He's pretty evil. He's... Uh, and we can talk about that too, I think. But um, a domineering and angry he's professor like a- who basically made Sally... He's yeah, also kind, yeah. of, kind of like a duck. He's, Aesthetic. He's one of my yep. favourite, like... And he's clearly puppets. made Sally to have yeah. someone to be friends with or someone that will hang out with him. And, and, and um, look after she, him and feed she's him. She's being a rebel... She's been sneaking out, and she's obviously got a crush on Jack. I think that's the best way to put it. I was going to say in love, but I don't, you know, mm. it's just it's a crush. Mm. What um, is love? So she's sort of always yeah. looking out for Jack, and is often worried about him, but also has this vision in the middle of the Christmas prep um, where she sees this thistle turn into a um, Christmas tree, and she's like, "Oh, that that looks positive," but then it goes up in flames, and she's like, "I feel like this is going to end poorly." Um, oh no! She has a beautiful song too. Yeah. What's her song called again? Why can't I take control of my life? Have some agency. Sally's song. Is that what the song's called? called? Oh, of course it's fucking called Sally's song. They can't even give it a fucking name. We can talk about um, gender and stuff too, and the, the pitfalls. Can we? A bit later. The pitfalls of I think every children's movie um, that this yeah. this unfortunately does fall into, and there's some other things that have aged poorly, but we'll get to that anyway. So. Sally is trying to warn Jack, but Jack's just so confident um, that he's going to go ahead. So she tries to delay him taking over Christmas, does a few things, including fogging up the whole town. But luckily, Jack's dog, Zero, Zero. has a glowing nose like Rudolph. So Jack's able to go out to the real world and um, run Christmas, but things go pretty bad. All the toys start attacking the children. Everyone's having a bad time. The military gets to the police station. Yeah, the military get involved and basically shoot down Jack. At the same time, Oogie Boogie's threatening to eat Santa by the looks of it. Yeah. Sally goes to try and rescue Santa. Yeah. And then Jack gets shot down and there's a reprise of his lament and he realises he's done the wrong thing and he probably should have stuck to his own lane. (laughs) But now he's got all these great ideas for next Halloween. Yeah. 
And he's like, hopefully I've got time to make it right. So he runs to town, goes, saves Santa and Sally, lets Santa go. And Santa's like, uh, you know, you fucked up. But I but will forgive you. I am Santa, I, you know. Mm-hmm. So Santa makes still things make right. make it around the whole world and give gifts. Yeah. And then everyone seems happy. Um, yeah. Santa introduces a little bit of the Christmas spirit to Halloween Town, so they all get to try something new. Mm. And then Jack and Sally have a, a lovely song at the end, which is a reprise of Sally's song that they sing together. Mm. Scene. Fine. Fine. <laughs> yeah, um, and I think I basically okay. spoke for the full 73 minutes of the film too there. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. we forgot to mention too, the whole thing is stop motion um, animation. Yeah. And it was yes. the, the biggest stop motion project ever undertaken at the time. Yeah. Um, it was two, two years of painstaking mm. work. Yes. There was a lot of passion that went into this. And I think yeah. um, we can talk a bit about the production, but it was of huge scale and huge emotion. And basically everyone who was involved with it by the end hated each other and took a long time <laughs> to <laughs> mend all those relationships. Oh, God. Let's talk about the the story and then mm. get into the production. So, Paul, I have also seen this film a bunch of times. And last night, I don't know if it was just that I was really tired, but I found it pretty boring. There's not a lot of story to it. And no. this was the trouble that I sort of had as uh, when I really was in my teenage stage. I still loved it. But, mm. you know, as, as you do at the time, you want everything to be darker and you want everything to be, um, I guess, more complex. And... Yeah. And this isn't, this is, you know, this is hop on spot. This is, um, it is a kid's, kid's story. Mm. There's not, there's not a lot to it. Um, no. I think, yeah, probably when I most disliked this film, it was when I was like, oh, I wish, you know, there was more concrete plot or more sort of stuff. And it took me a little while to then sort of realize it's a kid's film and that's fine. Mm. You know, not everything has to be yeah. deep, dark, gritty. <laughs> On a sidetrack, did you hear that Disney's going to do a gritty reboot of the Buzz Lightyear origin story? Are you serious? Yeah. What do you mean? No. What? Like the actual Buzz Lightyear, not the doll. But like what the doll, who the doll is based Based on. off is Fuck Buzz Lightyear. off. No. Oh, my God. Is it actually Chris Evans? Yeah. Oh, no. Nah. He's so yeah. American looking, that guy. Of course he they chose is. him. He's Captain America. Yeah. He is. And he does look like America. Mm. Anyway. Um, anyway, that was a sidetrack. And I think, you know, when I came to terms, you know, a bit later that, you know, as uh, it is all right to like kids stuff, but it, at, at the end, it's still, a, it, it's a kid's thing. It's, yeah, you, know, you have it's not to, meant to adjust your expectations yeah. accordingly. Go along with like, the music, have fun in 70 minutes. Yeah. But I, fe- I, I really, um, yeah, the, the songs just weren't that encapsulate, like that, that engaging wow. to me. Yeah. And they were so boring. Just... They're all just like the same. They're all like, see, I just like completely <laughs> disagree with that. I find the songs amazing. I have to fast maybe forward something, been... Paul. Wow, I know, and I've never done that before. So I don't know. Maybe I was just really tired. Laura was asleep on the couch next to me, so I was jealous of her sleeping. But <laughs> but also, like I've seen it so many times. I think I, but I also expected it to be more like. So I think I was I was like disappointed that it wasn't living up to my memory or my expectations. Yeah, and maybe that's of, because of like you're saying, like it, I, of my expectations of it being darker or like more meaningful in some way. And I was just like, oh god, this is like so. And I was just getting so frustrated with the Sally storyline. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I look, I can totally understand that. 
because um, I think I went through a similar stage too yeah. of sort of being like but I completely disagree with you for the music I think this is some of the best music going around especially for Danny Elfman like and again huge passion project for him um but yeah I read that it's he said it like the music just came so na- like so quickly he just was able to write it with it with real ease and in my mind I thought yeah that's because all the songs sound the same oh <laughs> uh, uh, look and you know all cards on the table I did also just listen to a podcast I'll do a shout out to it I think it's Please actually quite a, po- quite a popular podcast so you know probably not going to do it but we need to cite our sources that's that is it. responsible. My so wife got me onto this. It was called, it's called Strong Songs. And it's about this guy who's really into music and he breaks down songs to all their, you know, little bits and talks about. So these songs are actually genius. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's what he does. And, you know, it's not just, look, he chose Making Christmas from this movie because it sort of encapsulates everything that this movie's going for. But, look, he's done, you know, ABBA songs. He's done <laughs> Hamilton songs. He's done, you know, oh, other things. Oh, um, yeah, it's a, it's a great podcast. Give it a listen. But he does, I think, talk about just not only like, you know, I think this movie just epitomizes a really good Danny Elfman score. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I honestly think Danny Elfman's pro- like his stuff that he was doing in the late 80s, early 90s was just so amazing and still stuff that I listen to. And the stuff that he does now, like his Avengers theme, his Justice League theme, they're, they're all a bit, I, I honestly just feel like someone calls him up and says, Another superhero movie, and he's just sort of got yeah. a piano there. He's like, ba-da, ba-da. there you go. <laughs> yeah. 200 million thanks. <laughs> you know, <all> like, <laughs> but, what um, a life. Well, yeah. We've talked about Danny Elfman too. Like, you know, again, what a life. Like, what he's doing now, how he started off in Oingo Boingo, this sort of like, um, you know, super alternative, weird rock band, then yeah. came into films through Bachelor Party. Like, who the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And becomes one of the, like the most well-known leading score writers. That's right. Oh yeah. my god, I forgot about Bachelor Party. Um, but I think the music in this is is genius. It is just yeah. I would have before last night. I would have totally agreed with you, but I I think I just was in the wrong mind frame last night. Yeah, it's this gothic push of um of Halloween like spookiness again. It's just, it captures the tone of the movie so well. It's not like it's not like he's borrowed from Psycho or anything. He's He's taking no, this, no, no. The, the fun of Halloween, that kind of, ooh, things are feeling a little bit creepy. But then it's also <laughs> got this lovely sort of like traditional Christmas thing, smushes it together, and yeah, just every every moment of it is um, yeah. amazing. And again, this is a soundtrack I, I, I revisit a lot. Mm. Had, the, had the special edition CD that I'd ordered, especially from online when I was a teenager that I loved because it had Fallout Boy and Marilyn Manson covering songs from this. <laughs> Emo. Yeah. <laughs> Re-listened to it again recently and just went, man, they have all completely missed the point of all these songs. Like, they've just stripped <laughs> back all the complexity of the music and are just sort of winding their way through the yes, lyrics. Yes, totally, like, yeah. You fuckers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, no, the music's amazing. And I know um, they're just working on a new press of the vinyl, which I'm looking forward to. Mm. Uh, the same people that are putting out a vinyl of that thing you do. Oh, really? Yeah. They get it. They know good music. They get it. They do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The the thing I enjoyed most about watching it was the the animation and the, the like, just the fact that it's all done stop motion and the amazing expressions that these characters could have, especially when Jack does his, when he does his real scary 
face and it comes up close it's like a close-up shot of him and his his grin goes really wide and he's got these claws and he does the same the same like motion a few times at the end of a song or Mm. in a moment when he's trying to really be the pumpkin king yeah i love that expression on his face and just the changes like it's such it's such attention to detail and such like and it's really amazing and Jack's an amazing thing. And I remember, like, you know, I've watched the special features this multiple times. I didn't rewatch them um, this time. Ran out a bit of time, but I, I, I pretty much know them all. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's the same they talk about in this book. So Tim Burton obviously designed the character. And yeah. then it was, you know, he was involved awesome. creatively in the process, but it was sort of um, built upon by Carolyn Thompson and Danny Elfman really is um, the writing forces. But that character design, every animator that looked at it was like, so you've got the main character who carries most of the emotional weight of this movie and he's got no eyes. Yes. Like what yes, I read that was a big thing. What do you want us to do? Yeah. And Henry Selleck was like, well, make it work. That's what I want you to do. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> well, but I think the the um, the studio really wanted them to have eyes, to mm. have him to have eyes as well because that was a, a way that they felt that animation char- animated characters could connect with audiences was through the eyes and they were like... How how is anyone going to feel connected to Jack if he doesn't have eyes? Um, and they were like, oh, well. And then uh, they managed to do it. Yeah. Let's talk about the studio. So a lot of people who might have gotten to Nightmare Before Christmas more recently or it was released in 1993. So even by the time I guess I would have been watching it, it's very much Disney branded. Mm. This DVD yes. I've got actually is one of the older ones because it's still Touchstone, Touchstone pictures release. Yeah. So, um, basically, what happened with the production of this movie, it was sort of... It was right in the boom of Tim Burton. Uh, when Tim Burton was, I think, pure Tim Burton before these mm. days where I think it's Tim Burton trying to do Tim Burton. That, um, mm. Yeah, it I was like sad, his, his sad creative watch, high point. Yeah. And um, yeah. he'd done a lot of stuff with Warner Brothers and he yeah. was really pushing this idea of this poem because he thought it could, could be a movie. But, unfortunately... Well, unfortunately or fortunately, like, you know, it's ended up working out all right. But um, when he sort of came up with the concept, he was working for Disney. And mm. Disney have a clause in their contract that if we're paying you as one of our animators, we own, we get initial rights to. And therefore... Which so when is he tried, so crazy, isn't it? Yeah. When he tried like to he's get just back, come up with this and then he realises they still have the rights. Yeah. So they said we get first dibs and we want it because Tim Burton's a hot property. And they, they're the ones that attached the Tim Burton's to the Nightmare Before Christmas. We should mention as well, like previously Tim Burton was an animator for Disney and then his vision was like too weird and and wacky for them. So he left or what I read said they fired him. So I think his contract didn't get renewed sort of, you know. Yeah. So it was like, so yeah, like how, what a weird situation where you've, he's, he's been working for this company and he wants to, you know, get something else happening because he had, he got hired from them after he did the short film Vincent, right? He, oh, no, I think Stalker the Salary Monster was what um, got him, which is a, an earlier okay. one. It's just a 2D animation. Yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah. then and then he's... He, then he, he leaves Disney. He becomes... He starts becomes his... Tim um, Burton. Yeah. Becomes Tim Burton. He does Beetlejuice. He does the Batman. big adventure, yeah. Yeah, and then suddenly they're like, oh, actually, now we're paying attention. Mm. Um yeah, the movie business is so weird. It really is. But and then the weird thing, too, is if, you know, we've already seen Jack Skellington. Jack Skellington pops up in Beetlejuice. Does he? Yeah. 
on the top of the carousel when Beetlejuice turns into the carousel. There's Jack oh Skellington God, so sitting cool. on the top. Yeah, because he's also in James and the Giant's Peach, but that comes much after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh wow, I didn't know that. That's cool. But yeah, these are obviously the sort of sketches that um, Tim Tim Burton did. And anyway, mm. so that gets done, and then Disney's like, "Well, cool, no, we want it." And this, you know, huge train of production starts because Tim Burton wanted to be a uh, stop motion picture, mm. um, which, yeah, again, seventy three minutes is the length of the film. Never, nothing had ever been done that large before with stop motion. Mm. They hire a whole team, including Henry Selick, to direct in his directorial debut, right? Yeah. Um, so I think Tim Burton had seen some of his shorts. And have been pretty impressed. And I think they'd worked together when they were both they were both at Disney Animators and they worked at, together. Yeah, Disney, yeah. Yeah. And then then Tim Burton left. But he had spoken to Henry Selleck, I think, about this concept that he'd had in those early days. So yeah. it, t- it took him ages to get it made. He'd like had this idea for ages and ages and then it kinda got put on the back burner and then eventually came back and yeah, Henry Selleck was re involved then. Yeah, and Tim Burton couldn't direct because he was already um, signed on to do Batman Returns with Warner Brothers. And, and I think they, he didn't really want to direct, did he? Um, uh, de- depends, I think, which interview you take from. He goes back and forward, I think, rewriting that history. Uh, right, okay. Exactly. Yeah, but yeah because what because, I... Uh, because they knew it was going to be at least a two-year production and Warner Brothers will actually need to give us another Batman you signed on to do mm, another one. Yeah. We'll have yep. one of them, thanks. Yeah. And what I read was he him saying, he well, he didn't want anything to do with that arduous process of, of stop <laughs> motion for that long as well yeah um so i think he was only there again for like yeah a couple of days here and there and would fly in fly out kind of situation which um i feel bad for henry Selleck because it is totally like a tim burton in your mind you're like oh nightmare before christmas tim burton yeah but yeah but in a way i kind of think you know and i'm not trying to like and there's still a lot of tim burton films i love obviously beetlejuice is one that i kept well, I stole from you, really. But <laughs> I think Selick doing Burton takes this to a level that it is better. I think. Mm. I think there's like quirkiness does weirdness in a weird. Anyway, um, well, he he they, he very much like I think Henry Selick was has acknowledged that it it was his responsibility to make it a Tim Burton film. Like it was still Tim Burton's poem, his vision. He'd been you know turning it around in his head for for so many years before this. Um, he kind of, he described it in one thing I read, he described it as, it's like Tim Burton laid an egg and then I sat on it and raised and hatched it. Yeah. And I think you see the selectness in it, in the, um, I guess the movement of the camera, the way that shots are set up. It's not quite, you know, the art of it and, you know, spirals and skeletons is sort of what Tim Burton does. Um, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. all there. But, and we talk about the camera movement stuff later too because that stuff's genius as well i think um anyway disney's got this they start seeing stuff come out of it and they go the fuck is this (laughs) at this stage they'd already released a teaser trailer too and if you ever get a chance to watch the teaser trailer it's on youtube it's also on this dvd but it's very much like walt disney company pioneers in animation you know we were the first ones to do a 2D animated film, and now we're going to be the first ones to release a stop-motion feature-length movie. This is huge. Mm. Disney, Disney, Disney. Mm. Then mm. suddenly they got cold feet and they pushed it onto their adult wing, which is Touchstone mm. Pictures, or was Touchstone Pictures at the time. And the next trailer is very confused as to what it's doing. Because <laughs> um, it's gone to this, you know, adult wing, and it is yeah. it is just such a children's film. There is just, yeah. a, as you were talking about before, there's not there's not enough plot to, to no. put it on. <laughs> like, and 
the messaging of it is just so so basic and so childlike. Touchstone's got no idea what they're doing with it. Yeah. And then, yeah, from that point, the marketing was a bit of a schmozzle, but... But eventually then, it came out on Touchstone, right? And then after yeah. the success, Disney was like, oh, actually... It's actually... And they've rebranded it. And it, that's why I sort of yeah. like this edition of it, the DVD. Because it's still it, the Touchstone. Yeah, which I know is like a stupid thing to enjoy, but... Um, that's such a um, <laughs> that's such a film student thing to do. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it just sort of yeah, reminds of that because now it's it's so um, embraced into the Disney family. They you know they redecorate mm. that haunted mansion in their parks to Nightmare Before Christmas. They pump out so much merchandise that's Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, their video yeah. games have Nightmare. You know it is it is a Disney yeah. brand. But um, yeah, but, uh, but there yeah. are some little like in the movie they still like even though. It was, I don't know, maybe this was, they did this before they were going to put on Touchstone, but um, there's a few little like Easter eggs with Disney stuff on it. So that there's, when you're in the adult, in the human world, there's two of the kids have, um, one of the girls has like a Minnie Mouse pajamas and one of the boys has like a Daffy Duck pajama set on. So there's like these little bits and pieces. Uh, Disney fans call them Hidden Mickeys. Oh, Hidden Mickeys, that's right. And they're they're all over Disney Disney stuff. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But no, it's, it's definitely, the influence is still in there and you know, like, yeah. Disney's still in, in charge of it. But then, then yeah, obviously, the film got released and didn't go over super well because it, no one really knew how to handle it. Right. And it also got tied up in the time, too, that, you know, Tim Burton is corrupting our youth. There were a heap of articles that sort of came out because it was also when around the time that Batman Returns got released. Wait, what? There was a thing when Tim Burton was corrupting our youth? Yeah, it was, you know, everything's too dark. Batman's become too dark, <gasps> and now they're putting out this kid's film and it's too dark. Everything's too they dark. Think, they think the... They had very little idea of what was to come if they thought the Tim Burton ones were dark. Yeah, and there's this great interview. I'm sure I read it and I didn't make it up. It was Tim Burton talking about the Nolan Batmans. And I've never been able to find it again. But he's just basically... He's not slagging them off. He's like, you know, all power to them. But, you know, everyone was bagging me out for being too dark. What the (laughs) fuck? (laughs) Like, it was just this... Yeah, But I guess Tim Burton... I mean, we're going off into Batman land, which we'll have to talk about later, but Tim Burton was maybe the first one. When you look back on the 60s Batman and then you compare that to what we've got now, it's just so vastly different Yeah. Um, that you can't believe what it's come from. So, oh, yeah. you know, there's a, that's a little a little hint for later, a later discussion. So I get what he's saying. I get Tim yeah. Burton's kind of in the middle of these two polar opposites. Mm, that's it. And, you know, there's a whole hubbub and Tim Burton sort of, yeah, he's talked about he went to a really big depression because the the studio was unhappy with him for Batman Returns because it didn't make as much money as Batman. Um, there was a lot of creative stress between him and Danny Elfman and Carolyn Thompson mm. and Denise Nobby, who were sort of the, the other people involved in Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, mm, okay. Dark time. Hard dark time. Dark time for him. And I think a lot of it came out of this was just such a passion project for people and they, everyone poured so much into it. Tensions yeah. were high. Tensions were high, and I think just after it, everyone needed to back off. Um, Carolyn Thompson and <laughs> Danny Elfman were dating at the time, and oh, apparently wow. they were just, like, so full on. Like, they'd just be at his house, just, like, he'd be on his piano, just, like, bashing stuff out, and she'd be like, then this happens, then this, you know, it was just, yeah. Do you know, I, I read that him saying, or maybe it was Henry Selleck, someone saying that there's not much of her original script left because they kept on changing it and stuff. Yeah, um, and I think, like, yeah, there was... Everyone was putting everything they had into it, and because everyone was yeah. so personal about it too, I think everyone was trying to take their own time. ownership. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, from that, I gathered that it was like she did a script and then she'd left, 
but she was like super involved in it. I think at stages then I think the breakup happened because this is, you know, over a two year period, this film is still That's right. changing and like, yeah, it's, um, again, these are only sort of things that have sort of, I think been hinted at because most of the stuff I've read on it's been very much produced by Disney or by, you know, like, so yeah, yeah, it doesn't sort of go into the full history, but yeah, it was full on and like some interviews that you see with people about it, like it's very much like a, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that. I'm glad it's amazing they it. got. It's amazing they got something good out of it, isn't it? Yeah, like um, it could have just been an absolute schmuzzle. And this was yeah, yeah, new territory. Like most of the people like coming into work on it had worked on like thirty second ads or whatever. Yeah, and they're like, <laughs> all right. So so yeah, we've talked about the stop motionness of it all, but then also beyond that, this was like new computer camera technology. So so that stop motion could sort of work, and you could get these. I think the opening scene shows it the best but you've got this camera that basically runs through halloween town where everyone's sort of moving and dancing and if you think about that as a logistical point of view with stop motion where you're doing Mm. what is it 24 movements a second you've basically got to get this camera to move the exact same way through a town every single time 24 times for each second so if you did a three minute bit of that camp well you know it wouldn't even be that it was a two minute tops bit you've got to run that camera the exact same path every time so they had to actually like to write all this new programming to program it because he couldn't have a human camera operator because they couldn't do it exactly match up and just the frustration in these animators eyes because they'd be working on these mini sound stages and this is new technology they're doing something new as well they would have you know done 20 seconds over a week and then the computer would fail and the camera would hit over a character on its oh way through God. like yeah <laughs> how like oh yeah, I could, I would not, de- oh, just, I would not have the patience for this. Yep. Absolutely not. People were just going off their rockers. It was, um, yeah. but then yeah, 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 yeah. like, you know, there's marriages that happened within this community. Someone had a baby. <laughs> like, it is just yeah. wild. They were in their own little world for that two mm. years. So, so where do, where do we jump to there? Do we jump to talking about those sort of key production people? Do we, I think we've talked a lot about um the score. So, Danny Elfman. Yeah. Well, there's something I wanted to mention, which was when, which I watched at this time and it kind of really stood out to me straight away this time, which I hadn't really picked up on before, but it's the character of the Oogie Boogie Man yeah. and the so, racist overtones yeah. or that was just a, full on racism of that character. A big, big part of the backlash um, to the movie yeah. as well. Yeah. So, so there's a couple of things to talk about here. So the, there's no black characters in the film. There's, I think they've they've done a little like nod to diversity when there's there's two black children running to get christmas presents in the human world yeah. and there's two asian asian children, children yeah. running to get to get christmas presents which i have a bit of an issue with the characterization of the asian children cuz they're so like like i don't know like they're just they look like a, a caricature of this is an asian child mm. you know like it's very it was like oh my god especially when so much that of that is real world horrible and the point of that real world is it's to be stark and boring and very plain and normal. And I think just, yeah, the character yeah. design of those two Asian children is a, is too cartoonish for, for that it's setting. It's too cartoonish. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. And, it's, and it's, it's cartoonish in a really racist way. It's like the stereotypical way that, you, you know, people would have drawn Asian characters in, in like, Tintin comics or, like, you know, yeah. like, in the old days, in quotation marks. Yeah. And it's that very... Yeah. Um, so... I guess, optical diversity on behalf of the yes, film. It's totally. very much like, yeah, we're going to have black children, we're going to have Asian children, 
you know, it's just without yeah. putting any actual thought into its representation at all. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Is, you know, yeah. A classic An and Asian a, child looks like this. Classic, especially for Disney, I think, as... Because, you know, Disney's got a... You could talk for a long time about Disney's portrayal of Firepock and... Yes. You know, this was... Continues along in it. it it's... Uh, it's another chapter in in it. <laughs> in in a racist story. history. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very much so. And what the thing that frustrates me most about about the Oogie Boogie Man because this is the the character of yeah the kind of the the evil the real evil in Halloween Town. I mean, there's a few things. First of all, so there's no black characters in the main cast that we see until we come to him, and we only know his black because he's speaking in that african-american vernacular english so he's speaking in that very kind of i suppose the vernacular that we would associate with an african-american culture and then he's the evil one so that was first of all that was like a a bit of a like oh and all and then the music as well like the the fact that the music for all of the good characters was like all like you know nice white in quotation marks music like it didn't have like a particular style or a particular kind of i don't know it was very kind of white music i suppose and or western westernized music and then when we got to the evil character and this is actually this reminded me of an episode of Buffy as well where they do the exact same thing they take the most evil character and to make that evil character still like really evil but still kind of fun they use like a I don't you can probably explain the style of music better but it's like a jazz it's, yeah it's a it's a, it's a it's new orleans a, jazz influence sort of music new orleans, and it's, yeah it's a problem yeah that, yeah yeah it is it's a, it's a problem and it was a problem that this film really faced at the time of release as well more so than i think anyone that was ready for for it because again it was just an absolute ignorance on behalf and there's sort of two waves of it the first wave that came out the response from touchstone and from the film was very much like no, you're the racist because you're paying attention to... Um, yeah, yeah you know. which is that classic white thing yeah. of like, don't bring up racism because you're going to create more, you know, you're going to create more problems. We just want to pretend that everything's fine. Yeah, and um, then the second wave of it, it, was, it, it wasn't it was as defensive, but it still was no real acknowledgement of it, you know? That, and yeah. that's the thing that has frustrated me most when I looked into it because it stood out to me so much when, when I watched it, and um, which I'd never noticed before, yeah. but it was just like... Wow. And maybe that's because we've been doing the anti-racism work together that I'm much more aware of it. But yeah, it just stood out to me so much. And then when I looked it up, there was there was real concerns about it at the time of production. But then everyone who has spoken out about it now, except for Carolyn Thompson. So she's gone like, yeah, fuck, I knew that was going to be a problem. And I spoke to Danny Elfman about it. Um, uh, sorry, I spoke to... Tim Burton and Danny Elfman, I think, a few other people. And they were like, nah, nah. And Henry Salick, like, nah, nah, it'll be fine. Don't worry. You're being too PC. You're being over, you, you know, you're being overly sensitive, blah, blah, blah. But then the other people, yeah, they're still, they're so like, actually, it's just a, a tribute, you know, like we're just, we're just using, it's the style of music. It's not about race at all. It's actually not racist. It's actually yeah. not. And you don't know what you're talking about. It's so, it's so like dismissive and doesn't acknowledge what's actually going on and like yeah and then and yeah it's it's really frustrating and then um danny elfman's like not danny elfman tim burton has also said stuff about how he really hates like putting in different uh having characters of different race just for the sake of it because he's like well that's just you know that's just optical allyship or that's just you know yeah um tokenism but then you but then he he doesn't do i know i love that excuse from people it's like oh i don't want to do it just for the sake of it and then you're like so your choice. So well, then, you decided to not do it at all, then, like to just not do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so then so then make a character with depth. Yeah. 
a person of color. Like, you know, like yeah, don't just go, power. oh no, I'll just make it all white because yeah, you have the power to actually do something deep and meaningful yeah. and you're choosing not to. And um, I um, think, and th- yeah, I think that's often that's been a, a thing with Burton because he gets criticized about this frequently, mm. his lack of representation. And there is a lot of fragility there. There's sort of, there is a lot of, you know, not wanting to listen. Yeah. And, and making excuses. And mm. like, I grew up watching black exploitation films, so I'm not racist. Yeah. Like, Okay, so like that doesn't mean that's it. That does not mean you're not racist, and, and look, that does not mean that just because you watch this genre of film, it doesn't mean you're totally excused from then putting people of color in your film and giving opportunities and representing, you know, diversity. Yeah, and it, yeah, it's it's an issue that he continues to face, and I think it's um it was very interesting. I wasn't paying a lot of attention at the time, and I've never seen it, but because he recently redid Dumbo. Oh yeah, which yep, that's is right. I did incredibly not racist. It. Um, if you yeah. go back and watch the original now. Um, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, you know, even before he made it, he got a lot of... Everyone was sort of like, is Tim Burton the guy that we need to <laughs> to be remaking? <laughs> yeah. A, do the we right need to choice. be remaking this? And B, is he the person that should be doing it? And he, again, it's just that over-defensiveness. It's just the sort of... It's, yeah. it's just the, well, you know, well, I, I'm going to do it my way just to show you, you know, just to be a stick in the mud sort of thing. It's just that, um, yeah... It, it's an ickiness. It's just such a fragile ego. It's like, just come on. It's okay to fuck up. Just acknowledge it and make yourself better. Get better. Work harder. Yeah. Um, and yeah, um, look, it was, some- oh, sorry. it was something that I didn't notice at all until uh, I remember reading about it in one of the books on it that sort of mentioned it. And then I went. Yeah. And I remember, I remember thinking, oh, no, I don't want this to be... <laughs> Yeah. And then sort of, yeah, taking a while to sort of realise, go, yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I didn't want it yeah. to be, then the other, <laughs> The other thing that they, um, that the, I think Henry Selleck and Tim Burton kept on going is like, well, Ken Page, who happens to be a black actor, we got him to voice it and he was totally fine with yeah. it. Therefore, it's not racist. Totally ignoring the systemic issues that are involved in, you know. Yeah. yeah. And so it, it all comes just from just a fuck. complete place of ignorance, but then just that unwillingness to um to, to learn from learn. it. <laughs> like it's just yeah, the... totally, totally. You know. And then even worse, I didn't know this, but when I looked it up a bit deeper, the actual name Oogie Boogie is quite racist as well. Have you read about that? Oh, I didn't read about that. No, that's a so Boogie is a well dictionary dot com defines it as a contemptuous term used to refer to a black person. So. It was actually a name that, like, a, a put down. Yep. So it's just, like, one on top of the other. And I don't think they probably, like, it's, I think that's where it comes from. Like, the boogie man is actually quite mm. a racist yep. conceptualization of this, like, evil creature, which comes from this extremely racist backdrop. Yeah. And then that's, they've just taken that without really thinking about it and without looking into well, it but, and, and realizing again, how horrible that is. Speaking to the lack of diversity, it, we talked about how big this production is, but the complete lack of diversity in it. So that you didn't have enough voices in there to say, yeah, these are some totally. bad choices you're all making. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Which is why it's so important to have that diversity in all aspects of production, not just, you know, white people writing stories and then writing stories for black people. You need to have people of colour writing stories yeah. and people of colour in the production. Yeah. So that, yeah, that that's a part of this film that I was going to say for a second has aged it, but 
yeah, at the time, it hasn't aged it. It was bad at the time. Yeah, it wasn't. It and wasn't even good it was at the bad time. At the time yeah. too. So it's it's yeah. still yeah, it's a disappointing part about the movie. Oh yeah, here's something that Selick said. It didn't occur to me that it was racist. People are desperate to look for things to attack. Mm. <laughs> You're just really sensitive. Yeah. We, meanwhile, Thompson's like, no, nah, that was really, really bad. Yeah. She's really embarrassed by it. Mm. So that's a disappointing. If, if we want to con- continue and talk about the disappointing parts of the movie too, the lack of Sally. We can talk about Sally and say... Oh, yeah. yeah. The lack of agency. Yeah. Well, I mean, she has some agency. Like, she's she's so close. That's, that's the opposite. But she yeah. just keeps on failing. It's so frustrating. Yeah, and I think that's... She, like, so she... Yeah, no, yeah. No, you oh, no, I think that's that's the biggest disappointment in it, and I think that's kind of what lingers a little tiny bit with that feeling that you were talking about and with what I was talking about of the sort of... You want there to be a, a more substantial plot. You want there to be more... But I think a couple of times, and maybe, you know, this just because it's hard to make a, a, a long stop motion movie, they just fall back into sort of the, the standard sort of kid story arc. But it's it's just because they're tantalizingly yeah. close to doing something a little bit more. Um, mm. it, it can get frustrating. And um, you see that with Sally. Um, that yeah, because it's like princess in a tower kept by an evil person she she escapes so many times but then she keeps going back which is really weird yeah and then and then she's like you know she's the only one saying i think this is a bad idea i think this is a bad idea but no one listens to her and she's just like oh oh no this is a bad idea oh no but that's why watching it what shall i do this time um more so than ever i sort of you see this whole movie is just um i guess a fable even of male arrogance and just um oh you know totally it is just uh yeah you know you can definitely see that the whole thing is about like you know just being being happy with what you've got and who you are but is there's something particular particular about the maleness of it of the I've saw that I want that it's mine. Mm-hmm. And then the the typical female of being like the voice of reason mm. and but not listened to until the end. Like she has to fix him, or she's 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 got to save him in that emotional sense. He's got to save her in the vis- very physical sense. Yeah. Um, and there's a, there's a great scene yeah, that I think just... sums up that in just you know when she does go to warn him, and then just everything she says, he doesn't listen to it. Right. Sort of the mm. it, yeah. He thinks she's talking about the Santa costume that mm, he signed her up mm-hmm, to sew, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where she's talking about the whole idea. And, you know, she goes, I don't think yeah. it's a good idea. And he goes, no, you're a great sewer. <laughs> you know, it's... Um, yeah, you'll do a great job. And yeah. I, I feel like that that's very deliberate, that conversation, if they'd sort of explored that a bit more. But again, they just sort of let Sally go. Well, yeah, and I just got frustrated with the fact that Sally was just, like, put in her place so easily. Like, she just gives up, like, on that. She doesn't say, Jack, you're a fucking idiot. Yeah. Listen to what I'm saying. Well, I think, again, and I think they, they almost do, because she goes, she goes to... um sabotage the plot by making the fog i think that's like a really good move but they don't but it's but it's all passive yeah. it's all like it's all passive move well that's to it. try and, and thwart this plan but, but i think yeah they don't if they'd sort of followed her a bit more and yeah made that decision a bit more active they you know similar story beats could have worked a lot better but it's just sort of like that then she does that then we push her away and we don't really look at yeah she fails in that mm. she fails in everything yeah she, 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 because that is the frustrating thing. She has all these good things that she could, she can escape from the evil scientist. She can, you know, try and save, when she goes to try and save Santa Claus, I was like, yes, finally, she's going to do something. But then she like fails in the first, like in five minutes, she's suddenly about to be killed and has, and just is lying there tied up going, just you wait until Jack finds out about this. He's going to be so mad. Yeah. Like. 
fuck off. Which, come on. Yeah, comes out that, you know, I think there was obviously the rewrites going on um, throughout the production. And mm. what could have been fantastic is slashed, cut, jiggled away so it's not there. And then it almost kind of makes it worse by the, the fact that they kind of hinted at it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, it does. It's like... Because you actually get to spend a little bit of time with Sally and, you know, see her, her life and you get to see, you know, her some of her ingenuity and ability to look after herself. But she's just continuously thwarted by patriarchal standards. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah. That's what it is. It's like she's trying, but then the people are just like, nah, the guy's got to save the girl. That's it. Or, oh, fuck, uh, yeah. we're well over budget and our, and our timeline goes, let's just revert to exactly, you know, the complete standard in all its, um, yeah. in the worst way possible. And also, yeah, yeah, it just frustrates me because it's, again, teaching women to be, teaching young girls to be passive and to wait for the guy to make them, like, she's obviously in love with him. Just go and say, Jack, I really love you. I've got a massive crush mm. on you. Let's let's give this a go. But she, instead, she's like, oh, oh, you know, like the yeah. Oh, it's just so frustrating. It was so frustrating. Um, so I think this sort of also leads into a little bit of a discussion of one of the special features, which is an alternate ending. <gasps> Sally saves the day, kills Jack, and becomes the Pumpkin Queen. Almost. This it's it's a storyboarded thing. Ooh. So obviously it wasn't um, and it's only a, a fraction of it. But there was a stage where when so at the end folks oogie boogie gets defeated because he's a giant hessian sack and someone pulls the thread and he falls apart he does pull the thread jack uh jack and then um in a original version of the script or an early version of the script inside the hessian sack was going to be inside the hessian sack was going to be uh the evil professor ah and then it becomes her defeating her captor yeah so there was definitely that sort of vibe going on they for whatever reason decided against it but obviously that already started animating from the start. And that's why I think the evil professor character starts off a lot more evil than I think he's supposed to be. Mm, right. Um, okay. I think by the end of it, they want it to be like, he's not evil. He's just, you know, worried about Sally. But because he was so <laughs> mean at the start, you know, like they try and massacre He's that. not evil. He just keeps her captured in the... Yeah. yeah. Right. But I think the relationship they ended up trying to go for was more of like, yeah, a protective father rather than a, um evil captor. But it does. It, that doesn't work, and um, Mm-mm. you know they try and soften him at the end because he makes a new a new friend to hang out with that's just in his own image, which you know is a bit of a joke that you know he just wants to love himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Sally's allowed to go off and you know do her own thing. Um, but yeah, you can tell that obviously at some point they switch to the new ending, and yeah. they already you know spent however many months filming those scenes we're not going back and softening just to soften him a little yeah. bit so yeah, yeah you can see that there was a, a jigging around of that but i do wonder how much carolyn thompson had put in because again that's i'm always confused why i feel like the original plan was for sally to save santa and then for everyone to meet up because it is like she's all yeah. set up to save and then it's kind of like oh, oh no that so didn't work close. yeah or like someone flipped a page and go oh actually we started animating jack saving and if someone's yeah, like, we didn't oh, realize. fuck, they can both do it, maybe. Hers won't yeah. work. <laughs> um, yeah. Because even Jack coming back to save at the end, he's got no reason to go to Oogie Boogie's. Like, no, it was so rushed. Everything yeah, was like... Yeah. Choo, 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 choo. He sort of has yeah. this realization and then he's sort of like, I'll go save Santa from Oogie Boogie. Like, you know, there's no... Yeah. But how does he even know Santa's with Oogie Boogie? Like, he doesn't. Yeah. He, last last so year, he explicitly said, don't take this person to Oogie Boogie. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So, yeah, the ending is a bit rushed, and I do wonder how much of that was just the studio being like, cool, you're good to go? Yeah. We're going to try and release this tomorrow. Like, oh. Yeah, after two years. <laughs> yeah, oh, fuck. That's it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, it, it's tantalisingly um, annoying, Sally's character. Yeah, very annoying. Mm. I do um, love her song, though. Do you? Yeah. Mm. Well, I love Catherine O'Hara, who voices her, so yeah. that's good. <laughs> um, I know, right? And she yeah, sings great. it, too. Yeah, she can sing. Mm. Mm. That's probably all I have to say. What else is there? Who else do you want to talk about? What else uh, has Henry Selleck done since then? So Henry Selleck, yeah, he had a bit of a falling out um, with Tim Burton because of this. Again, you know, Tim Burton, I'm just going to put it out there. Like, you know, I don't mean to defame An anyone. arrogant but twat. I think he is. He just really oh, comes 100%. off 100% like that a lot of the time. Yep. Very blamey. Like, obviously, he talks about he was going, he had a really depressive episode after this. Um, but even in all his interviews, it's very much, and I was depressed and no one looked after me enough. And that's why, you know, like, yeah, so I can see why he wrote the character of Jack. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's it. And, um, <laughs> so yeah, big falling out, but because of the success of this, Henry Selleck gets James and the Giant Peach. Yes. Which right. is definitely a Selleck film, but again, bungled completely, um, by yeah. the studio, I think. I haven't watched it oh, in years. Oh, really? Yeah. I never saw it. I saw it in the cinemas and, um, oh. yeah, but it just wasn't, they didn't know what to do with it. Right. He fell from graces a bit because of that, because he wasn't making money. Yeah. The, then he went and did Monkey Bone with Brendan, Brendan Fraser, which was another complete bomb. Which, I've um, heard of it. Well, Brendan him, Fraser, I mean, how many popular films, how many successful films has he yeah, done? One? Two? Um, so that sort of happened and that means he sort of just like fell off it, but managed to make a sort of semi-successful career doing a lot of advertising, especially, um, through MTV, which gained a lot of success. He eventually built it up and then he was actually responsible for doing the stop motion in, uh, Life Aquatica. Oh, cool. Which finally led to him getting, you know, another shot at it and he did Caroline. Oh, yes, of course he did. Yeah. Oh, Coraline. That's it. Coraline. Coraline. Yeah. Yeah. And he did well with that. Yeah, and from then on, he sort of... Well, even that was 2009. And then he's been rumoured for projects and stuff back with Disney, including... Have you ever read The Graveyard Book by Neil Gaiman? Apparently he was working on that for a long time. Neil Um, Gaiman wrote Coraline, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right, okay. Yeah. Maybe he's just taken a break. Oh, I think, you know, he's... um, He really seems like an animator first and a director next. But um, sort of got a a couple of shots and then did some misfires that weren't completely his fault, I don't think. Hmm. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, too, yeah. you know, forever will be known, not known as the director of this. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, dear. And I always thought, like, when I when I see it um, marketed as Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas, I always think, like, oh, fuck Tim Burton. So arrogant. But it actually wasn't him that decided to put that. It was the studio. So yeah. at least we should recognise that. Yeah. Yeah. Carolyn Thompson, you know, strong relationship with Tim Burton. Edward Scissorhands was sort of her big script too. They seem yep. to have a bit of a falling out from, from this as well. Yeah. Um, I, I, again, I just think it's such a, um, it was, yeah, just so much passion from everyone. That yep. um, last time yeah. she did work again with Tim Burton on The Corpse Bride. Oh, yeah. Have I even seen that? I don't know. It's interesting. It's sort of, yeah, you know, another stop motion film. Yeah. He did it. Yeah. It's got some, it um doesn't handle race too well again. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, God. <sighs> yeah. 
but yeah, they're, they're sort of the yeah they were the sort of big creative forces I think behind behind this. Mm. Um, what else is on the special features? Again, like you know, there's some really good stuff looking at the the props department, animation department. You know, this is yeah, I bet real craft what they're doing um and yeah. pretty amazing and that's what this you know the art of tim the art of um, the film book is really good at explaining it it's got a lot of you know tim burton's original sketches and then going all the way through yeah. to the, the design of the the models and everything and i, I really like that as a book yeah. the um dvd also includes tim burton's first two short films with disney vincent yeah. which was stop motion um which is still a lot of good fun it's uh yeah it's, i like that yeah one. yeah uh, for those of you who might not have seen it um, you can find it on YouTube um, and on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. It's the story of this little boy that thinks he's Vincent Price, um, narrated by Vincent Price as well, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's also got Frank and Weenie, which was um, Tim Burton's live-action director debut. Yeah. A bit of fun as well. I actually find that one a little bit boring. It's a, a little I don't bit know of, if I've seen it. Yeah, uh, well, it's on Disney Plus as well, so give it a watch. He mm. remade it as a stop-motion movie himself many years later. Which yeah, I've I seen. feel like I've seen the stop-motion, but not the live-action. Yeah, it's a short film. I think it's only half an hour. Yeah, it was sort of in that stage where he was working at Disney. Disney itself was in a weird spot at the time too when he was working there. Um, that sort of just finished the golden age of being Disney. And were a bit of a loss, uh, at a loss to what they needed to do. And this was sort of before they sort of kicked back with Lion King, Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin and the like. It was just sort of, we've really got no idea what we're doing with all these animators here. So he did get a chance to make those two short films, um, which were both completely shelved until he became famous. And So yeah, but that's, you know, interesting that it's got those two shorts on there as well. Um, yep. As far as that, and then oh, there is also another really good um, look at the three different worlds. So creating the Halloween world and sort of that, you know, very spiral skeletal design, the over cutesy, exciting world of Christmas. And then yeah. the whole point of the human world was set to be incredibly boring and realistic. Um, yeah. Which I think it does quite yeah. well in the art direction there is, is pretty spot on. Is it time to make a decision? I think so. <laughs> I think yes. my prediction is you're going to keep it just given your history with it. Yes, um, I'm yeah. definitely going to keep this one. I, I know, like, I watched it on the DVD this time. When I've been watching it in the last few years, I've mainly just gone to Netflix. Yeah. It would now be Disney Plus because it was before yeah. Disney Plus was around. Um, and that's a really good... Because for ages, I tossed up getting the, the um, Blu-ray. Oh, okay. Um, but I think I've skipped that generation. But I will hang on to the DVD. Not just because I get that nerdy touchstone <laughs> pictures. But partially. Um, partially because of that. But it's a good one just to have on hand. And it's a good one that I, I look forward to showing to your uh, Bubba. Bubba. Um, but of course, like with any media, it's not just about consuming it, it's about dissecting and talking about it. So we will yeah. talk about some of those flaws that we've, we've talked about today. Yeah, I think that's important. Mm. And you can sing lullabies to baby. I'll sing Jack's Lament Based too. on. <laughs> <laughs> and your baby will grow up to be the whingiest, whiniest emo. Mm. <laughs> no, it will be perfect. All right. Well, I suppose that's it for this year. Mm. How exciting. We will uh, be back, you know, sometime next year, depending on uh, life circumstances. Um, yeah. Yeah. Very exciting times ahead. I know. And still boxes and boxes of DVDs to get through. <laughs> oh, phew. Uh, I was so worried. Um, but thanks for listening, everybody, and have an awesome holiday and a great new year. And we'll see you next year. Merry Christmas. Bye. Sorry, can you... Oh, God, Peggy just threw up. Oh, Peggy. Okay, I'm back. She's all right.